What does innovation sound like? It sounds like the luxury of being in the moment with your customer, client, or patient. It sounds like having the right information right when you need it. It sounds like being at your best for your customers and your business. Thanks to Highland's intelligent content solutions that improve digital processes, innovators everywhere are able to do their thing better, whatever that thing is. Now, who doesn't like the sound of that? Highland, for innovators everywhere, visit highland.com. This is Blue Moon. It's the original fan-made Manchester City podcast. Coming up, we've got news and views from Cities Week. It's your club, and this is your show. Two wins in a week for Manchester City is a feeling I'll never take for granted again, I promise you. After a bout of poor form, Guardiola and the gang got back on the wagon with victories at Luton and Red Star Belgrade, and we'll discuss all of the talking points from those matches on today's Blue Moon podcast. Luton have now become the ninth team that City have faced, and Kenilworth Road has become the eighth stadium that City have been to in both the Premier League as well as their only season in the third tier. Kieran Murray takes a look at all the fascinating stories from those matches in those two eras of the club's history a bit later on. Then it's Crystal Palace at the Etihad on Saturday. Stand-up comic and Palace fan Andre Vincent will be on the show to give us his thoughts. And then City jet off to the Club World Cup after that. We'll do our very best to preview that game, even though we don't yet know who it'll be against. Not that it changes the level of insight that we can provide. I'd literally never heard of Club Leon or Urara Reds until the draw was made, so good luck, everyone. I'm David Mooney, and crossing their fingers and hoping this week, we've got City fan Ali Fogg. Hi, David. And one football Dan Burke. Hello. Hello. Um, so, I mean, Dan, I said in the intro there, there's uh, nothing I, uh, I I won't take City for granted anymore. Uh, is there anything that you won't take for granted that you've learned about City this week? <laughs> um, well, I, I, I sort of interpreted this question a bit differently. Uh, on, on a personal level, one thing that I won't take for granted is um, the fact that I had my Christmas party last night and uh, <laughs> I've had to get up for work this morning. And I'm, I'm here in body, but, you know, miles away in spirit, I think, really. Yeah. So um, if, if I... Um, you know, as a young man, I used to be able to do this thing no problem, but I'm uh, I'm getting a bit long in the tooth now. So if I go a bit quiet at any point during this recording, it's because I've probably fallen asleep. Good. Um, Good. In terms of football, though, I think uh, one thing that I, um, I'm certainly not taking for granted is United being absolutely dreadful. That's uh, <laughs> just the gift that keeps on giving, isn't it, really? It I mean, I, I thought that I'd peaked with the Moyes, the Moyes season, and what, that was, what, 10 years ago? And it just, if anything, they keep getting worse. It's just <laughs> so much... So enjoyable, and um, there's no end in sight for it, really, and uh, long may it continue. Yeah, a friend of ours said recently that uh, if the worst comes to the worst and City are found guilty of all the charges that are thrown at them and they're thrown out of the Football League, stuck in non-league or whatever, um, doesn't matter because United <laughs> will still be shit. And it's, like, it's, it's made me feel quite, quite a lot better about it all. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Ali, is there, has there ever been a situation that where uh, you've like of someone or something you've never heard of in football, and it's taken you by surprise about how good it's been? Yeah, when I saw that question on the schedule for today, it made me realise just how weird and unusual the situation is of going into what what they tell us is like the World Club Championships, World Club Cup playing against teams that you've literally never heard of before. Uh, and I guess we must have played, must have met someone in a Europa League or, or whatever <laughs> the old uh, the old versions of the UEFA Cup were. Uh, but I can't actually remember. If you were to ask me the same question about bands, then I would have loads of really interesting questions. So, you know, get back to me when you're doing your uh, Norwegian experimental electronic jazz <laughs> podcast, <laughs> and I will have some excellent answers to that question. Well, go on then. Give us a band that surprised you that you've never heard of. <laughs> Uh, the first time I saw the uh, uh, Norwegian experimental electronic act <laughs> exploding plastics, they absolutely blew my mind. Uh, a live drummer, the likes of which I have never seen, never heard before, 
so yeah, go go and check them out. Um, uh, uh, noise heads. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> I uh, this is already. I'm so so far out of my comfort zone already. Let's uh, <laughs> let's let's go back to the football. Um, Tis the season for festive football, and the best way to watch it if you can't get to the games down at your local Green King Sports Pub, of course. After all, Christmas is a time to catch up with friends, old and new. So get the team to your local for pints, food, and live action of every Christmas cracker. Each game from TNT, Sky, and Amazon is live at Green King Sports. That means wall-to-wall action on their huge HD screens. Head to your local Green King and watch every winning goal, top bins volley and dodgy VR decision in an atmosphere worth sharing. Don't forget, download the Green King Sports app and you'll receive 10% off drinks every single time there's sports on the TV. Um, let's talk then about the uh, the game at Luton and uh, the game with Red Star. Because, uh, Ali, I got the sense that Luton was a, a bit win at all costs. Um but the performance to me felt a little bit more than win at all costs. It felt like they were they were back playing a little bit more like City. A little bit, maybe. Um, it was a little bit seat of the pants all the way through. Uh, first half, can't say I enjoyed watching it very much. Uh, second half, it did start to come together a bit more. Um, obviously, when the Luton goal went in, there we go again. Oh, oh, I know exactly, exactly that. Here we go again. Feelings running through my my head and the pit of my stomach. Uh, but no, actually, as as you say, it was a bit of a win at all costs game, and we got there. We did what we needed to do, and sometimes, you know, particularly at, you know this point of the season and this time of the year, uh, what you need to do is just drag out results, and that's what we haven't been doing for the last month or so. And, and really glad we did it on Sunday. Yeah, how much how much closer to the real city do you think City have been this week, Dan? Because the uh, the Red Star game as well is difficult to assess given the changes that were made and the op- the opposition. But the performance again was a lot more. It felt a lot more like we're used to. Yeah, they're definitely getting there. I mean, I th- I, th- I think the the sort of crisis has been a bit overplayed in recent weeks, to be honest. I think even Pep alluded to that in his uh, press conference this week where he said, like, we've lost one game. You know, it's not that bad, really. I think the performances are getting there. I think, you know, Villa Villa away aside, the performances have been largely good. I still feel like we, we have issues with letting games drift a little bit. I think we're only at our best about 85% of the time at the moment. And I think, you know, it's it's probably going to be after Christmas before we perhaps see City firing on all cylinders if they get there at all. I think there are question marks about whether we've got the depth required to go all the way again this season, um, whether the, the, the players that were brought in in the summer are good enough and, you know, whether they've settled quickly enough. I think there's plenty of reasons why we've not seen City quite at the best yet you know injuries we've barely been able to rotate recently Rodri's suspensions haven't helped De Bruyne not being available has been a real problem Um, you know the new players are settling in and I think the word complacency has been thrown around a little bit in recent weeks and I think it probably is a case of there being a bit of a complacency, but I don't really blame Wait, the team for that. That's weird because I, I was in, instinctively when you said that, I felt like you were going to go the other way and say, I think that's unfair given the <laughs> the problems that they faced. It's like, like, like here's a list of problems. Oh, and yeah, they must be complacent. It's like, well, no, here's the problems. You've just, you've yeah. just laid them out. <laughs> Maybe complacency is the wrong word. Maybe it's, you know, they just, there's just been a bit of a dip in intensity. You know, I think... I mean, every every team is dealing with kind of the same issues at the moment as well. So they're not excuses that we're, that are making. It's just kind of reasons, really. And I think we're perhaps dealing with the effects of last season. Now, you know that that truncated season with the World Cup in the middle didn't have the effect that a lot of people thought it would last season. But maybe it's been delayed, and we're seeing you know it catching up with the players a little bit now. And 
I just I'm just very calm about the situation because yeah. we've been in this situation so many times before. You know, we can we can afford to be patient and philosophical and, and just see how the season develops. And if we don't win the league, you know, it's not the end of the world and it will mean that Liverpool or Arsenal or I don't know, Aston Villa will have had a really amazing season and you know, good luck to them. God, imagine I think if it's it was Aston Villa. <laughs> it's just gonna be interesting, <laughs> I think. Yeah, imagine honestly, like I, I can fully. If City not going to win it, I can fully get on board with Aston Villa winning it. You know? <laughs> well, certainly the lesser of uh, three evils, aren't they? <laughs> yeah, um, Ali. We're obviously talking about the the performance more at Luton than anything else. Um, it, as I say, got back to looking a little bit more like uh, like City. It felt like the goal that Luton scored was very much against the run of play. And it felt like City had spent the entirety of that first half just going back to the control thing that they've that they've that they've so desperately craved for the last few weeks. And then the goal goes in anyway. So like is, was there a point in there where you were thinking, look, just just like nothing we try is ever gonna work again. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I never quite got that uh desperate, I don't think. But no, the the control issue was a really important one. And going into the game, what I wanted is for us just to get the sense that we could knock the ball about and control it. One thing I did notice is that our we were reluctant to just hold and recycle possession the way we do when we're at our most confident and, and fluent best. And the possession that we did have was slightly negative. One thing I always notice about City, when we're playing absolutely at the top of our game, Every ball that is played, every pass that is made goes to slightly ahead of the player. So they're taking it in their front foot and, and their first movement is you know, towards the opponent's goal and, and in an offensive direction. And the possession that we had on Sunday, even when we were holding the ball for you know, a few minutes at a time, it was tending to go to the back foot and it was just a slightly safer pass that was being played all the time. And that is a sign of a team that's not at its most confident and and uh, you know most assured of, of their capabilities. Um, but having said all that, that's probably what they needed to do. And, and yeah, with yeah. all due respect to, to Luton, we were playing against a really well-organised, really competent Premier League team, but not one with you know, huge huge gnashing, flashing teeth. Um, it, it was a, a game where if we kept enough control, we were always likely to come away with the three points. And we did exactly what we needed to do. And, and that's how it worked out in the end. Yeah, I've just imagined when you said gnashing, flashing teeth, I just imagined like like really a, a monster with really big teeth, but then covered in Christmas lights. <laughs> <laughs> I don't really know. I don't really know how scared I am of that anymore. <laughs> Happy Christmas, everyone! It's the season. Yeah. <laughs> um, Dan, it did get a bit chaotic towards the end uh, as City were trying to see things out. There was one decision that was made that I was I was utterly baffled at. In in, in stoppage time, uh, they got a free kick on the halfway line, and for some reason, Alvarez chipped it out for a throw in. And I'm just like, <laughs> not normally at this point, you keep possession. What are you doing? Um, yeah. So like, it, yeah. you could see the the kind of um, the effects of the last few weeks of you know keep conceding goals in the last few minutes, equalisers, last minute um, uh, kind of um, defeats, that sort of thing. I mean, Villa's goal wasn't wasn't that late in comparison. But the fact that they have been a bit vulnerable towards the end of games recently, you could see the nerves there, couldn't you? You could, but that that's what I found so pleasing about the result, really, the way they, they ground it out. I think we needed we needed a result like that. We needed a performance like that. And every game I've watched at Kenilworth Road this season has been kind of like that, you know, um, 
Arsenal, the jammy gets got a 4-3 win there the other week, you know, but Tottenham... When they, when they should have lost, I know. Yeah, Tottenham won there, struggled a bit as well. Um, I think, you know, people forget that there's two teams playing sometimes as well and, and Luton have got their game plan and they executed it pretty well. I thought our control of the game overall was pretty good. I thought the goal um, that they scored came against the run of play at the end of the first half and I was a bit worried about whether we'd have the cutting edge to come back in the second half and turn it around. So that was really pleasing as well. Um, and yeah, the, the way that we de- defended set pieces at the end as well was good as well. Um, getting the heads on it, you know, Edison coming and claiming crosses and stuff. I just think, uh, yeah. Could, it, could he have it gone for the goal? Um, I, I just think that was an amazing cross, personally. Mm. I think if anyone's at fault for that, it's probably Guardiol for not stopping the cross. But then when it comes in, I don't think there's an awful lot you can do about that. I think uh, they're the kind of crosses that we've be- become accustomed to De Bruyne putting in over the years. And um, I just think it was a good goal, yeah, to be fair. Yeah. Um, Darren's been in touch to say, I'm still concerned defensively. We're conceding good chances too frequently for my liking. Last season was built on solid defending, but oh, how we miss Gundogan for his goals and control. Um, and I, I guess, Dan, that is kind of the the issue that we've been speaking about here so far. I mean, Gundogan is, like, it's strange because the role he was playing last season, you wouldn't have said he was. it was him that the reason why the defence was so solid. Um, but you can see in the last few weeks that they've missed a player who just knows when to slow the game down, when to keep the ball, when when to dictate the tempo, haven't they? They have. And, uh, you know, I think Kovacic was brought in to do that. And I think due to injuries in recent weeks, he's not been able to do that. He's not been available. So I thought he played pretty well against Luton. I'd like to see him playing a bit more now. Um, and I looked up, we've conceded six more league goals than at this stage of last season. So the, the defending has definitely been an issue. It's definitely something that we uh, we need to get back to and um, tighten up because, you know, we can't really uh, rely on rely on it at the moment but it's a problem that I'd fancy him to solve especially with Stones you know hopefully he can stay fit now with him coming back one thing that I'm a little bit confused about this season is the, the fullback situation I mean Walker has gone from you know being in and out of the team last season to being undroppable seemingly I like Walker I don't think he's in his best form at the moment and I also don't really understand what, why Gvardiol has always played at left back I didn't think that's what the point of signing was I thought he was, he was going to be signed to play centre back I feel a lot more confident when Ake plays left back to be honest you know against Villa the other week Gvardiol was getting turned inside out by Leon Bailey I think he's really good going forward and I think he's a very good player with a lot of potential but I'm not sure that him at left back is making life easy for us at the moment so I'd be up for seeing Ake come in and, and hopefully get that Stones and Diaz partnership working again and um, and we'll, we'll come through this uh, pretty rough period, I guess. Yeah, the John Stones return from injury hasn't come soon enough, has it? That's the thing. Mm. Um, Ali, the, uh, we're talking as if the last few weeks have been an absolute disaster, but then when you look at the, at the top of the table, uh, City are four points off the top and... You know, we always say if City are in in there or thereabouts, you know, going after Christmas, when they can start to put a run together, that's the point at which other teams will be looking at it going, oh, Christ, City are only four points off the top. It's, we're in a slightly unusual position this season, I think, in that we started so well in the first kind of eight or ten games of the season, however many it was, uh, that everything you know it it seemed it felt so easy at the start of the season even without De Bruyne we were putting results together uh we were putting together strings of of wins um we were either at or or comfortably at the top or or very near the top you know from the start and then we've had a we've had an iffy month you know we had a a very difficult uh, November and 
now where we are is kind of where we usually are around about this time of season and you know somewhere within a few points of the top but not actually there uh, you actually i think you have, probably have to go back to uh, the centurion season before we had a, a clearly despite what jürgen klopp I was, was saying I, I was going to say are you, are you <laughs> suggesting that since you're not normally 15 points clear at this point? i know yeah yeah like that that was weird i'm not going to get i'm not going to get sidelined by it but what a downright weird comment that was. It was just so completely divorced from reality. Anyway, no, we, uh, despite what some would have us believe, uh, we're not usually far clear at this point. Uh, and as you said, um, it's not even now. I, I, I'm not worried where we are before Christmas. I'm not even really worried where we are on Valentine's Day. Um, if we are within uh, eight points of the top going into the last 10 games of the season then I'll be very confident that we would chase anyone down and, and yeah. we will get the results that we need. Uh, so until we get there, so long as we're in touch, I'm not really bothered too much. I'm actually much more concerned about the the trend in our form um, having gone for you know basically a month without playing very well uh, and I, I, I totally endorse everything Dan said about our defensive setup and, and some of our team selections, and particularly around the fullbacks, are, are quite strange. I would, I don't understand why we had such an amazing tactical setup in the final third or quarter of last season with the three wide centre backs and then two, effectively two holding midfielders with a folded in fullback in front of them. It was so effective. It was so good and. We now seem to have completely abandoned it. And, you know, you know like Dan, I, I really like Kyle Walker. Uh, I think he's probably largely been getting picked for his personality more than his footballing, if you know what I mean. I think, we, you know, we lost so many senior players over yeah. the summer. I think Pep wants Kyle Walker there on the pitch for his, you know, call it leadership, if you like. It's not quite the right word. It's just a force of personality, I think. Um, but the bottom line is Kyle Walker is an absolutely amazing uh, covering fullback uh, up against the best wingers in the world. I would back him when you know, we're coming up against Vinicius Jr., whoever it might be. I would want Kyle Walker there in that fullback spot. But most of the time, we're not playing against Vinicius Jr. And when we've got most of the ball and when we're going forward and when we're playing our fullback as our furthest wide, furthest uh, forward, you know, effectively right winger, uh, that's not really Kyle Walker's best game it's not what he's good at uh, and i've not quite made sense of of why he's been there pretty much you know uh, ever present for for you know, the entire season so you know, all of these things are are pointing towards the fact everything's not quite uh optimal at the moment yeah. you know we're we're not we're not quite uh the smoothly running pep guardiola footballing machine that we have been or certainly were at the end of last season and, and have been for most of the last five years um but odds are that you know by the time we get to february march then we probably will be again because that's kind of what pep does he, he tinkers around in the first half of the season and tries a few things and rests some players and and then round about the end of february he decides what his best team is and, and puts them out week in week out for the rest of the season <laughs> so yeah, yeah there's no reason to think the exact same thing won't happen again this year yeah, you say you're not bothered uh, where City are on Valentine's Day. What public holiday is the point at which you start to get nervous? <laughs> St. David's Day, I David's think. Day, yeah. I, was, I was wondering if it might be St. Patrick's Day, like middle of March sort of thing. Yeah, yeah somewhere between yeah. the two, yeah. 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 May Day. May Day is the one that you... Uh, no, no, yeah. May Day, I'm definitely panicking. If we haven't sorted it out by May Day, then, then forget it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
Dan, let's talk about a few uh, individuals because uh, Phil Foden played centrally against Luton. Uh, he came on against uh, Red Star and, and again picked up that role in the middle. Um, he's just... You can just see so much more of him when he's in the centre of the pitch, can't you? And it's, it, it, I guess it, it it kind of throws up the problem of, of the Alvarez problem of that that while Haaland's there and Alvarez is 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 around, he can't really play wide, so he kind of forces Foden out wide, and you, you just see the benefits mm-hmm. of of what Foden can bring when he's in the middle, do you? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, I thought he was good against uh, Luton, and I hope there's a bit more to come from him. I think. I'm quite critical of Foden because I know how good he is and how good he can be. And when he's not playing well, it frustrates me. And he tends to fade in and out of games a little bit too much for my liking at the moment. I think he can be a bit more influential. And he's just a joy to watch in that central position, you know, the way he can turn in the tight spaces, run past players, you know, play the passes. It's really beautiful to watch. And it definitely suits him um, better than on the wing. And I hope he gets more chances there. I thought, um, yeah, when he played against Liverpool on the on the right the other week, I thought he was really poor. Um, and I don't, I just don't think that gets the best out of him. I, I think it's a waste of his talent, really. Regarding Alvarez, he's another one that I like a lot. I just think he's played way too much football as a necessity this season with De Bruyne not being there. I think he's played way too much football, full stop, you know, going back to his whole time at the club last season, playing at the World Cup, etc. I think he needs a rest. Um, he's still a young developing player, we forget that. And I think, you know, he's a very, very good player. But yeah, I'd like to see him spend a bit of time on the bench now maybe and, and be used as a bit of an impact sub because we don't have a lot of those on there in the squad at the moment, really. It's someone we can turn to um, coming off the bench. And Haaland being out, I think, is... Um, made Pep's uh, decision-making a bit easier in the in the past couple of games because he, he's sort of played Alvarez up top and and give, given chances to other players like Foden to play in the middle. So I'd like to see maybe Foden tried alongside Kovacic in the middle. I just wonder if Pep is a bit worried about Foden's defensive contribution and, and he's pressing because it's not quite as good as, as what Alvarez offers really, but I think it's worth worth a go in, in the coming games. Yeah, I was going to say it's worth the risk though, surely, Ali, when you see, when you consider every, the, the amount of attacks that City had in that first half, especially against Luton, that came through Foden it's kind of like that's the trade-off isn't it you 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 might lose a little bit of the defensive pressing but City looks so much more threatening than they'd looked in so in the weeks before they do there's no doubt in my mind that Phil Foden has been our most effective player this year and with Kevin De Bruyne being out Phil Foden has very largely plugged the gap and that's kind of what we've been waiting for him to do throughout his entire career you know that that moment when he properly steps up and becomes our most important player and I think he's pretty much there now uh and yeah, he, he 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 can be occasionally patchy and he disappears out of games for a little bit, but I think that's largely a product of the type of player he is um, because he's trying the uh, high-tariff moves and, and runs and passes more often than he... Uh, well, I don't know if more often than he needs to, but certainly more often than most other players around him in the team. Uh, and, of course, you know, those things don't always work out, but when they do work out, they... they produce incredible results so no I'm I'm actually really pleased with how Phil has played this year there's a fundamental problem that you can you can design a the formation of a football team in many different ways but it's almost impossible to do it with a number nine and two number tens yeah uh you know mm-hmm. this is not 1953 and you know, Stanley <laughs> Matthews and we you know we're not going to play you know have you four, seen two, some five. of the formations they used to play yeah it's incredible <laughs> isn't it? it's like did anybody have any sense like <laughs> <laughs> no I think it's a short, a short answer so yeah no we're, we're not going to be playing with two number tens so if Alvarez needs to be in the pitch and 
given our you know the the injury situation, and I don't want to overstate it because you know other clubs have it worse, and and you know we you know we could be in a worse position than we are. We to a certain extent we've been riding our luck, and and things could be worse. Um, but we are still at the point where Pep is basically trying to get a living of his best players on the pitch at the same time, and then trying to find a a, a setup that will allow him to do that, which isn't really a very Pep Guardiola way to approach a football match, but I think mm-hmm. needs must. Um, and the reality is, you know, if Alvarez is going to play it, you know, as then I think he needs to play as a number ten because he's not a midfielder, and we saw that against Villa really quite clearly. Um, so Alvarez has to be further forward, and then Phil has to drop back a little bit, and and he's you know somewhere between the six and the eight position in in traditional terms. Uh, but Phil Foden will always make a difference, and I think you know it's almost a cliche has been said so often, but Phil is so good, he's so valuable that if you have to put him over on the left, then put him over on the left. If you have to put him over on the right, put him over the right. But where you will get the best out of him is between the 8 and the 10. Uh, if we're able to find a way of doing that, then fantastic. But if not, we just have to get him on the pitch and yeah. he will deliver for us. Yeah. Um, how about Grealish though, Ali? Because the, the narrative this season around him has, has been, you know, he needs to do more, he needs to do more, he needs to do more. He's got two goals in two, both of which should have been, well, one of them was a winning goal. The other one should have been a winning goal. Um and uh, like it, it, it seems like 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 everybody seems to be pitting him up against Doku when surely like the, the the qualities they both have mean that they just offer different things and that's absolutely fine. They do, and the other thing that we have to say about Jack this year is if you were to put together a compilation of all the goals that he didn't create because he put in the assist and then Haaland banged it over the bar <laughs> or straight at the goalkeeper, uh, it would be an incredible compilation. Uh, I think Jack's actually been quite unlucky the times he has. To be fair, I think he was one of the players who looked a little tired at the start of the season, a bit like uh, Dan... Dan talked about complacency earlier and, and then said it's not quite the right word. And I agree, it's not quite the problem. I think it's more a kind of psychological exhaustion that you get. Uh, the the ongoing emotional demands of going through a treble winning season and, and the whole parade at the end of it and, and the the, uh, the roller coaster of, of emotional and psychological uh joys and, and highs and, and all the rest of it then coming back to do it again it really does take it out of players and that's entirely understandable and unavoidable mm. uh, and i think it is the case that it kind of it took a took a couple of months for that really to kick in and part of the problem over the last month or two has been i think players have just slumped a bit and it's not so much physically it probably is concentration above all you know just kind of that that thing of staying psychologically sharp and hungry is really difficult and jack looked to be more affected by that than most and the fact that doku came in and absolutely sparkled has of course shone a light more of a spotlight on jack than would otherwise have been there but the bottom line is he's played fine um he's been able to have a few games off because of doku and when he's come in, he's done jack things. He's been maybe not quite at the heights of, of that that he reached in, in the previous season, but he's been really effective. Uh, and he, as I said, he, he's been really unlucky in that actually he's done a lot of good things that haven't resulted in goals. And as, as you correctly point out, he is starting to get the numbers as well. He's, he's uh, stuck the ball in the net a couple of times, which you know we all want to see from Jack, and, and I'm sure he, more than anyone, would like to see for himself. 
Yeah, I saw somebody suggest that the finish at Luton Dam was not a clinical finish, and I'm like, like, well, he's like, he's, he's popped it through the keeper's legs, like, well, yeah, sure, he, he scuffed it a little bit, but like, he still scored it. Hey, they all count, don't they? That's yeah. uh, that's all yeah. that matters. It goes in the onion bag. Yeah, I mean, I think I, I think I think Grealish does need to score more goals, and I think he'd be the first to admit that in his uh, you know sort of self-effacing way. But his contributions are still really vital, you know, in in, in a silly kind of way scoring goals isn't really his job which is it does sound after say that because he's an attacking player but you know we know what he brings to the team in terms of control and and, and bringing other players into play and holding the ball up and, and you know he does a great job and I think his uh him coming back into the team in the past couple of games has, has helped us um get a bit more control over games as well and it's good to see him scoring uh you know especially against Tottenham the other week um I felt sorry for him on a personal level that he was denied that moment, that that winning goal, a bit like at Old Trafford last season when he scored, and you know he really needed that goal. He, I think he just the, needs the something like that. The interview he gave after the Old Trafford one as well, where he said, "I, I you know, I, I was flying. I thought I'd come on and scored the winner in the yeah. derby, and he was like, he was really up for it." Yeah, yeah. So hopefully, this winning goal against Luton will um, will do him the world of good in terms of his confidence, and uh, yeah, whether he scuffed it or not, I don't really care. It went in, and that's all that matters. Yeah. Do you see him ask Alvarez in the celebrations if he'd handled it? I did. Yeah. I don't yeah. know how how good Alvarez's English at this point but if you can understand Jack Grealish then it must be pretty decent <laughs> I suspect Alvarez's English is better than Jack's to be fair <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Ad-free episodes are available on Patreon. Sign up at patreon.com forward slash blue moon podcast. Uh, let's finish the first part of the show with uh, a word on some of the youngsters that played against Red Star because uh, we're about half an hour in and we've completely ignored them so far, which is um, <laughs> like not the thing to do given the uh, the impression they made. Um, Ali, it's it, it's good, isn't it? When you have a complete dead robot like that, to, for it to suddenly be livened up by a goal from two players, by goals from two players that, um, I mean, one... You know, many of us had never seen until he started the game. The other one, who is is having a, a, a kind of a slow introduction to the team, but has been been in a few games where, like, you look at, at Wolves and, and Villa, especially recently, where Oscar Bob was just kind of thrown onto the pitch and, and told, "Go on, go and sort this out." It's like, 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 like the, the 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 fact that he's then gone and got himself a Champions League goal. You kind of feel good for him, don't you? Oh, totally. Can I say before I say anything else, I really enjoyed that game last night. I, th- mm. I think we've had so many of those dead rubbers at the end of Champions League groups, uh, and they're normally pretty dull. Um, and I don't know what, I think weirdly the 5.45 kickoff time sort of helped that because um, it, it made a bit of a, what, what's the word, um, they, almost like a warm-up match for the Newcastle game, which I'm absolutely <laughs> fine with, you know, uh, not, nothing was at stake. Um, the time of day, it was kind of, okay, I'll, I'll you know, put my work down for the, for the rest of the afternoon. And I'd barely started the telly. at that point, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the, the joy of the freelance life. <laughs> yeah. and, uh, but then it, it, it was just, it was a pleasure to watch. I think, uh, ironically, with uh, so many changes and a, a team that, had, you know, most of whom had never played with each other before in their lives before. It was more like a Pep Guardiola Manchester City performance than most games we've seen this season. It was it was really controlled. There was some really fabulous possession football played. Um, we we've talked about the the two goal scorers, but Rico Lewis again was sensational. I thought he he, he was running about like he owned the pitch. Um, I, I particularly enjoyed him. He, he he gave Oscar Bob a right bollocking at one point, which <laughs> when you you remember how you know, Rico Lewis is still what eighteen years old or, or whatever. Um, his his attitude of seniority and and 
just his belief in himself and his confidence in himself is, is just you know exuding. And especially after you know, he really did get shown up would be unfair, but he, he had a bad time at Villa. Um, he was basically bullied by an extremely experienced, very strong, very competent Villa midfield last week. Uh, and it was probably... I, I, actually... I, I hear the Scotsman singing the praises for John McGinn. Uh, well, I know. I know <laughs> like, uh, but, uh, McGinn, but also uh, I, I occasionally get like flashes of, of uh, anxiety or something like How did we sell Douglas Luiz? Because he is so good. Mm. <laughs> uh, but the, um, the the whole Villa midfield was was really exceptional. And, and yeah, it was probably the first time that Rico's been on the pitch and, and has looked less than uh, up to you know, up to the job he'd been given last week. And, and that was mostly about what we what was going on around him, to be fair. So I was delighted that Rico came back and, and absolutely stormed the game. But then, of course, those you know, two lads scoring beautiful goals. Actually, both of them were absolutely exceptional mm. finishes. Uh, I screamed. I positively howled when Hamilton hit that goal in the first half and it smacked him at the back of the net. Um, didn't see it coming. Honestly, I thought I'd gone the, or was heading into the side netting until I realised what was happened. And, you know, that that made my day. Uh, and then the the accuracy of Bob's finish in the second half was just a delight and the whole game was just like really good fun to watch and, and it was an exhibition match and both teams put on an exhibition and really couldn't have asked anything more from it and and I have to say because you know, God knows he's had a hard enough time um, I was really delighted that Calvin Phillips got his goal took an absolutely splendid penalty yeah. um, I'm really can't glad stay around if you, if you can take penalties can't stay at this club can you <laughs> no, obviously yeah. uh, it really he, he hit it like yeah yeah did, did anyone else get yeah yeah flashbacks in the way that <laughs> smacked into the, uh, into the inside of the corner but um, no I, I was pleased for him uh, He we have to say he had a, he had a pretty awful game again other than that point he got better in the second half but you know first half he was really quite nervy and poor and of course he was getting uh targeted by the uh the opposition players who you know had worked out that he was going to be nervous so he had a difficult time but i was really pleased and i thought it was really good for team morale and, and the whole uh dressing room spirit that they gave him the penalty to take i thought that was quite important and i really liked that it happened um and i quite liked that it, uh, it finished with a three two which is had a quite exciting scoreline and just everything about it was like great fun what a, what a fine couple of hours of entertainment that was yeah um i've been trying to think of uh puns around hamilton for uh for this but i uh i fell asleep during the <laughs> during the musical on uh, on disney plus so i thought uh, you were about to say i fell asleep uh, during my last answer no i uh I, so i <laughs> no not quite i mean i've done i've done enough podcasts with enough people to uh to be able to stay conscious throughout that's the, that's the bar that i set these days um Dan, for for the youngsters that came in, uh, you look at uh, you look at especially Hamilton, but also Bob. Um, like it's it, it, you don't get many opportunities in City's first team with the sheer volume of games that City just have to win these days. Um, so it's nice to see that that kind of opportunity given and then taken, isn't it? Absolutely, yeah. And um, it's just it's nice to see young players coming through the academy, isn't it? It's not that long ago that people were really critical of City for not using the academy enough. You know, even when Foden was coming through, people were saying, "Oh, he's never going to make it," and all this kind of thing. And you know, the the turn turnaround has been has been really good. You know, Foden is obviously one of our key players. We've had Cole Palmer come through and be sold on for a lot of money. Rico Lewis, and now maybe maybe Hamilton is is the next off the off the rank. You know, as well as well as Oscar Bob being, being in and around the first team. It's always really good to see who knows what the future holds for them whether they will make the grade um 
you know, especially the the thing with Hamilton with that photo of uh, Pep giving him the the talk. It's like it, it's like almost a parody. Like it's so Pep's city to me that like um, also some nice echoes of, of you know, no one knows the uh, well trodden path of ball boy to club legend like Pep, do they? Because he was he was like a Barcelona and yeah. um, that great photo of when Terry Venables died a few weeks ago of uh, Pep as a, as a young boy um, looking up at him was was great and yeah it, it just felt so so Pep City I almost feel like Paul and Lou might have to do a, another updated version of the book <laughs> about about Michael Hamilton but uh, yeah I, I must admit I didn't see the game live great goal he went close in the second half as well to a goal didn't he uh, yeah, right yeah. at the start of the second half I think so uh, he looks exciting and, and I'd like to see him a bit more involved in the squad. You know, we've had a few games recently where we've had like two goalkeepers on the bench. You think, can we not just put one of the young lads on the bench, get them involved in the first team? I don't know. There's probably a good reason. Maybe it's better to have them playing for the EDS at the weekend than sitting on our bench and doing nothing. I don't know. But I'd like to see Hamilton get some more chances. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, he's almost at the point though, isn't he, where um, like you look at, at, at the the state the game has to be in for Oscar Bob to come on. I mean, unless they're losing at Villa and Wolves for some reason. Um, <laughs> yeah. the, the game needs to be needs to be over and kind of meander into a close and Oscar Bob gets some minutes and you kind of think well like Hamilton's shown at that point that he could be in, in that sort of bracket of player where he could be coming in for the final five six seven minutes if in a in, in a game that City are winning four nil or something like that it's uh, there's it, it feels like if he's if he's not on the bench you don't have that opportunity to do that so uh, so yeah, yeah. it's uh, it's certainly something we'd like to see um you mentioned uh Lou and Paul's book uh Dan this is the, this is honestly one of the greatest segues that we've made um <laughs> you're welcome yeah there we go <laughs> Uh, competition winners uh, from last week. We asked uh, who scored the Champions League winning goal. We obviously told you it was Rodri because you all knew it was Rodri anyway. Um, so congratulations. <laughs> there is a copy of uh, Paul and Lou's updated book coming to you. Uh, Paul Corey, Christopher Carter, Jackie Saylor and James Fielder. Thank you very much to everyone who entered. Uh, congratulations to the winners. Uh, commiserations to everybody else. But you can pick up a copy of the book in uh, well, all good bookshops is what they, uh, what they say. But I, I guess most badge bookshops will have it as well you know you <laughs> just have a look around you'll find it somewhere yeah. um right then uh, let's move on and city's trip to kenilworth road this week meant an eighth stadium that the team has played at in both their highest and lowest moments luton are the ninth team that city have faced in the premier league that they also faced in their only season in the third tier kira murray's here to hit you over the head with the nostalgia stick We'll start with a team that these days brings City fans out in a cold sweat, Wigan. In 1999, City had the honour of playing the final game at Springfield Park in the playoff semi-final first leg. They got off to a terrible start, with a mix-up between goalkeeper Nicky Weaver and defender Gerard Vegans. The ball got come back and I've shouted, I wanted to clear it, so I shouted keepers to Gerard. But then I thought he shaped like he was going to clear it. Lee Crooks, he, uh, he he did a throw, a throw he threw in and he uh, he threw it to me. But the ball was very fast, and and uh, the striker was coming, so I pretended it just kick it up upfield. So I've backed off thinking he was going to take matters into his own hands and clear it. But he sort of like stepped over it. But uh, I thought it's it's the ball's quick enough to uh, to go to the keeper, so Nicky can pick the ball up and we, we keep possession. And by this time I'd stepped back, and I think it was Stuart Barlow. My memory serves me, who just nipped in and, and put it in. That was after something like 20 seconds. But it was Paul Dickov to the rescue. He scored the equaliser, which would be the final ever goal at that stadium. Gerard didn't have to thank me or apologise because he was outstanding that season. Um, and it was a really uncharacteristic mistake from him. You know, and obviously we, we got back in it. We're probably unlucky not to win the game. City then met Wigan for the first time in the Premier League six and a half years later. 
It was at the DW Stadium and finished 4-3 to the home side, although the Laddocks had been 4-1 up at one stage. They're not the only team in this list that City have had trouble with in the top flight either. Reading have also been tricky. In 1999, City won 3-1 at the Medeski Stadium in the run-in. But in September 2006, it was a different story. The podcast's David Mooney was there. It was this game, really, that I should have tweaked. It was going to be a, a difficult season. It ended up being the season where, where Stuart Pearce's City only scored 10 goals at home. They'd had a good start to the year. They'd uh, taken four points from a run that included Chelsea away and Arsenal at home. So they were doing all right. But then this game came along and they were just abject for the vast majority of it. Reading newly promoted. I remember the Reading goal coming from a free kick and being largely preventable. Uh, wasn't defended particularly well. And then City had a few half chances and Usman Darbo was sent off. And that was about it. And they, they, they kind of went out of there with a whimper. Mooney was also there for the first Premier League trip to Stoke. That was in 2008, and once again, City lost. I drove to Stoke, and uh, I had a few of my mates in the car with us, uh, which they all had like City shirts, and uh, we had City scarves and stuff with the, in the car. Um, and then a steward directed us to uh, a home car park and told us it was fine for away fans. And then obviously City lost the game, and we had to trudge through all the home fans to, to get back to the car and then sit in the car. The game itself was was not memorable. It was not good. Um, Rory Delap was sent off, and even with ten men, Stoke took the lead and saw it out pretty comfortably. And I think the the nadir was City chasing the game towards the end, uh, having a free kick in their own half, and Vincent Company taking it. Um, and it going out of play at the far end for a goal kick without bouncing um, and that just about summed up City's day It had been a happier visit to the Britannia Stadium in 1999 though that finished 1-0 the City thanks to a lovely goal from Gerard Vegans. It is still fresh in mind because I've got uh, two pictures at home my carriage is, is now uh, like, like a pop and, and I've got two pictures of them and one controlling the ball and, uh, and, and the second picture is of, uh, of, of uh, scoring the goal so I'll, uh, I'll see it every day. It was a corner and, and I've got the ball, I control it on my head. And uh, while the ball was still in the air, I, uh, I had to kick it very quick, so I had to jump. A few weeks earlier, City had drawn 0-0 at Bloomfield Road in a non-event of a game. By contrast, City's only Premier League visit to Blackpool was a special one. They won 3-2 and David Silva scored his first Premier League goal. Mooney asked Blackpool fan Jack Gone about it after Silva's final game for the club in 2020. I can't believe you're doing this to me. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Um, but but that, that goal against Blackpool is the one that stands out for many people. Horrendous um, defence. It's just incredible football. You can't you can't defend against that. I'm sorry. No, I was sat in the stands watching it, thinking, fucking out who the hell is this guy? I mean, he's just been magnificent, hasn't he, for 10 years. David Silva's a sort of player that you just run out of things to say. Blackpool and Main Road had been City's opening match of that 1998-99 season. Their second game was a trip to Fulham's Craven Cottage, where they were battered. Kit Simons played for Fulham that night. He'd been at City the three seasons before. I come from on the back of two, uh, two relegations in three years at Man City. Um, so I was sort of the lowest point in my footballing career. And I come into a Fulham team, albeit in League One, the lowest level I'd ever played at. And suddenly, straight from the off, things just start going right. You know, where, where everything was going wrong before, it starts going right. Four and a half years later, the two sides met in the Premier League for the first time. It finished 1-0 with Nicholas Anelka scoring the goal. But that away trip was to Loftus Road, where Fulham were ground-sharing with QPR at the time. City's first trip to Craven Cottage in the Premier League ended one all in April 2005. Next, let's go to a stadium where City have never lost. 
Their first Premier League trip to Bournemouth's Dean Court was a routine 4-0 win in 2016. Their only trip in the third tier was eventful. It finished 0-0, but that's not the whole story. First, Jamie Pollock was sent off on 84 minutes. I went through a, a crazy little spell of getting sent off. I was just trying to be competitive, and that was my, the nature of my game. And you know, I wanted to compete, I wanted to do well for the club. But there's nothing you can do. You once you're sent off, there's no way you can go with it. Obviously, the referee's made his decision, and then that's final. And then, shortly before full time, City were reduced to nine men when Kevin Horlock was dismissed. I think it was a break-up in play. I don't know what had happened. Someone had gone down injured, but there had been a tackle about a minute before on the halfway line and I was just walking to the ref to ask the question but, and I didn't even speak uh, and that's the craziest thing I, I, I tell you in his report it said I didn't even didn't swear I didn't say nothing to him I was walking towards him and he just flashed the card at me and, and obviously I've turned around and I've sort of looked over my shoulder thinking he's throwing it to somebody else that's maybe behind me fighting or whatever they're doing and he said no you off you go so I've sort of walked off into the dressing room and Jamie Pollock was just getting out of the shower obviously being sent off previously and he said to me what have you been sent off for? And my answer was, I actually don't know. When we asked the referee a few years ago, he told us the second yellow was for foul and abusive language. Horlock's account, though, is slightly different. Joe's obviously come in after the game and said, what, what did you say? I said, I didn't actually say anything. He said, you must have swore. I said, I didn't, I didn't say nothing. I didn't say anything to him. And then the, the referee's report come through and he, he's, his words were, he sent me off for walking towards him in an aggressive manner. I, I walked fairly quick to him, maybe, I don't know, and maybe I've got one leg short and the other that maybe looked like I was looking a little bit aggressive, probably had a skin at the time, but I certainly weren't aggressive, I was just going to go and ask him about a foul previously. Other than that, Bournemouth has been a happy hunting ground for City. It's a similar case with Burnley's Turf Moor. In 1999, City won 6-0 with help from a Sean Goder hat-trick. The first Premier League game there, 11 years later, finished 6-1. Burnley fan Kevin Robinson picked it as his hell choice in a recent Patreon show. It's the worst match I've ever been to. I was really, really unwell. I actually missed kickoff and the first goal because I was being sick in a toilet cubicle, which oh. probably was the highlight of the match. But <laughs> 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 Which doesn't really say a lot. Yeah, it was 3-0 after, what, like five, six, seven minutes, something like that. Some of the most absurd defending you've ever seen in your entire life. You had Brian Jensen in goal, pretty much placing the, the ball at, um, at Tevez's feet. You've got Adebayor running, genuinely must have been about 20 yards ahead of our defence, pretty much half the pitch and then just slotting it past Jensen. And I don't think I really took much notice of the rest of the match. I was just sat feeling even grumpier than I was before the match. That leaves Boundary Park as the final ground that City have been to in both the Premier League and the third tier. Although this one is different. All of the other top flight visits to these teams came after they'd been there in Division 2, but not with Oldham. Niall Quinn scored the only goal in the Premier League in January 1993, and then City also won the tie there in 1998 with a special goal from a new signing. Well, back then it was roughly 22 yards, and now we're nearly in 40. I'm sure by a couple of weeks' time it'll be the halfway line. That's Andy Morrison. It was only a second game for City and he scored a sensational volley to make it 3-0. We were at Oldham but the, the whole place was full of Manchester City fans and it was surreal, you know, you were looking around not sure where to run because they were everywhere. The ball came out from a set play and I just headed it back to Sean. Sean headed it to me without touching the ground and I, I volleyed and hit, hit it as well as what, you know, probably nine times out of ten they would be, you know, heading down into the middle of Oldham but you know this one I caught it right and it just flew in the top corner and with City's 2-1 win at Luton on Sunday that now makes nine teams they've faced and eight stadiums that they've played at in both their highest and lowest points 
And looking at the other teams that City went up against in that season in Division 2, it could be a while before any more are added to the list. Hi, this is Sean Gooder, and you're listening to the Blue Moon Podcast. The Blue Moon Podcast. If City won't let you down on the pitch, let us let you down off it instead. That was Kieran Murray taking a look at uh, the nine teams that City have played uh, in both the top and third tier. Uh, Now then, uh, time to look ahead to Crystal Palace and whoever the hell we play in the Club World Cup. Let's find that out later. Um, Ali, De Bruyne is still out, uh, a long way out as well. Uh, Haaland may not be available. Doku may not be available. We still wait for news on Grealish after he went off uh, against Red Star. Um, I was about to ask if the injury problems are subsiding, but it still feels like like Guardiola's got 11 players available. (laughs) He does, and I think there's a lot of other managers in the Premier League that will be looking with some envy at that, given the state of of squads everywhere. I heard an incredible stat on Five Lives the other day uh, that fully a quarter of all Premier League footballers are currently injured. Wow. Which is is just incredible. I mean, when you think about it, well, well, obviously, like United have got 13 out this weekend. Uh, When Newcastle played Spurs, they both had about 10 each. uh, You know, so you talk about half their squads. Um, And so, you know, with with that in mind, when we've got about a quarter of ours out, then, you know, that's just average. Um, And, yeah, we don't don't like to complain too much because it is football and and everyone is having such an incredible yeah. incredibly difficult time with it you can't um, get on with it don't you that's the thing yeah, yeah that's exactly it. we just have to get on with it you have to put a team out and we're you know fortunate enough that we can we can put out a, a team that we would be confident could be any other team in the Premier League, whether they do or not, is a different question. But you know, we we should we should be able to put out uh, put out a competitive team for any match. Um, and you know, even you know, we'll talk about our opponents in a second. But you know, when Palace are you know missing players like Dukuri and, and Eze and and uh, Jordan Ayew, uh, you know, we can't really complain too much that that we've got similar kinds of problems because we're all in the same boat. Um, but no, we can we can put eleven players out and, and bring it on. Yeah, cheeky question this, Dan, because we were talking before about uh, the role of Alvarez and Foden and where Haaland fits all in there. Um, is it is it not not a blessing in disguise? But does it solve a little bit of the control problem if Haaland is just not available? Yeah, well, you know that I think Haaland's crap, don't you? So, like, I'm <laughs> glad to see glad to see him out of the team. Uh, long may it continue. It does a bit, I think. Yeah, I think I think um, I mentioned earlier. I think it has made Pep's decision making a little bit easier in recent weeks. Um, which doesn't mean to say that I don't want Haaland to come back as soon as possible. Because, you know, I, I think there was times against Luton particularly where the ball's going in the box and there's just kind of no one getting on the end of it really. Because I don't think, like Ali said earlier, I think Alvarez is more of a number 10 than, than, a, than a midfield and a striker, to be honest. I don't think he's a he's got that sort of striker's instinct. He doesn't play there at international level either. So we need someone to, to finish our chances. We need to, we need to be uh, to be getting our goals and, and Haaland is obviously going to be key to that. But I think it might give Pep a bit of food for thought and a chance to kind of experiment a little bit, work a few things out and... Uh, maybe get things get things ticking over a bit more in an attacking sense because we've not just we've just not quite been there this season. Even when Haaland's been there, um, it's, it's just not quite been there yet. So I'm just hoping over the Christmas period we can get our players back. Haaland gets back fit. You know this injury isn't too serious. 
um, get the Club World Cup out of the way, and then we can uh, we can start looking our best selves again after Christmas. Yeah, um, Kovacic and Nunez both played against Red Star Alley. Um, how involved do you reckon they could be? Because uh, again, in terms of uh, impressive performances, I thought both of them put on a, a little bit of a showing against Red Star. Again, admittedly, in a dead rubber, but it was a it was a performance to say, you know, I am I am getting it a little bit. Yeah, maybe uh, Kovacic, I thought, uh, did a, a good job of, of kind of floating around, mopping up like uh, the first hint of a problem here or there. Uh, and he did give us quite a lot of control and, and it was quite low-key and unspectacular, but I was quite impressed with the job that Kovacic did the other, uh, last night. Uh, and I'd be uh, not remotely surprised to see him in the starting 11 on Saturday. Uh, Nunez... I'm I'm still um, with those who say the jury is out. He he showed a couple of moments of of real quality and, and kind of spectacular uh, innovation, uh, and then the end product wasn't quite there. I was happy with his performance last night, but I still don't think he's quite there. He doesn't quite. N- I don't know if he knows his job. I'm, I'm not sure I know his job yet. Whereas uh, Kovacic is, is very clear what, what he's to do and mm. what he's there to do, and, and he makes quite a good job of doing it. So, uh, yeah, Kovacic, I, I probably expect to see on Saturday. Nunes, I don't, but uh, he's, he's a, a fun player to be able to bring off the bench, and I think that's the level that he's at in the City team, at, at least in Premier League games at the moment. Um, and that's fine. You know, that's kind of what I think that's what you were brought in to be, at least for this season. Get a dollop of City Nostalgia every Monday. Sign up at patreon.com forward slash blue moon podcast. Now, the thing is, though, Ali, I, we were talking to Dan before about uh, Foden in the middle. Um, if Haaland is available, can you work out a way to get Foden in the middle or, or does he end up shunted out wide? Uh, I mean, the only way is is to to drop him deeper. So you you have you you don't play Kovacic. You play Rodri as an, as the only holding midfielder, and then Foden a bit deeper. Um, it's we talk about formation. A point that Pep himself has made is like we we get hung up on on you know four three threes and four one four two three ones and whatever else. Uh, actually, these players are all over the pitch, all over the you know, all the time, and they interchange with each other and they swap around. So yes, of course, you can you can put Foden nominally on the right wing, and he will come inside and, and do the job of a number eight or a number ten at times. Um, but if he is expected to cover that that. You know, uh, wide berth, then you're not going to get the best of it out of him. Uh, I think the, the the bottom line, as I said earlier, you, you can't get you know what, what's the phrase? You can't get a, a quart and a pint pot or whatever. You know, we it, we we can't get all the players who do the same job on the same pitch doing the same job at the same time. Mm-hmm. It just doesn't work like that. So we we've got to move them around and and put them where we can. Uh, but we've also got to put out a, a team of 11 players that can win the game. So if Foden does need to go out wide, then so be it. Um, I'd really love to see him have that number 10 berth. And if I was, you know, again, if Pep was to phone me up today and say, well, hey, Ali, what team should I pick on Saturday? I would probably urge him to give Alvarez a rest because I think he could probably benefit from it and then play uh, Foden behind him. But all, a lot of that depends on whether we've got, for example, Doku fit, uh, which I don't, think we will and we're probably just gonna have to you know see what 11 players we can get out there in the pitch and that's just how it is at the moment 
Yeah. Um, after the run that City been on fixtures-wise, Dan, um, how are you feeling about facing Palace? Because the, the confidence might have been knocked over the last few weeks. And, you, you know, the, a decent performance at Luton, a decent performance against Red Star could be going some way to, to rebuilding that. Um, and at the same time, Palace feel feels like they're completely bang out of form right now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, they have been a bit of a bogey team for us, haven't they, in, in recent years with that Andros Townsend goal and that, that 2-0 win they got um, a couple of seasons ago. Hopefully, we've sort of exercised that demon with their coming back to win uh, when they went 2-0 up against us last season as well. And, you know, it's um, it looks like... One where we've got to be looking to get three points, really. Um, like you said, they are out of form. I thought they were a bit unlucky against Liverpool last week, played quite well. Um, obviously, they were at home and uh, went down to 10 men and lost in the last minute. So it was, I'd, uh, I'd like to take personal responsibility for that game because I saw that, that Palace were leading 1-0 and I turned on it exactly the moment that Andre Ayew was sent off. <laughs> you, you did it to yourself, didn't you? Yeah, I did. Yeah, <laughs> yeah so I mean, I, mean, I think... Um, Poor old Roy is not really getting a tune out of them um, anymore. I think the players look a bit uninspired. Like Ali said, they're missing, they're missing some key players as well. So, yeah, you don't want to be too cocky and, and too confident, but I'm hoping that City have, um, have, have given themselves a boost in the past couple of games and we'll, we'll go into this one feeling really confident and we'll, we'll get the win because, you know, these are the sort of games you, you can't be dropping points in, I don't think. Yeah, I've just realised as well, I've confused uh, Andre Ayew with Jordan Ayew because it's, uh, it's his brother, isn't it, that, uh, that plays for Palace. So, uh, yeah. That's right, yeah. Yeah, there we go. Um, let's get some thoughts from the Palace side of things. Uh, I've caught up with Palace fan and stand-up comic Andre Vincent to find out more about the mood at Sellers Park right now. Sure, that's not Jordan Vincent. It might be Jordan Vincent, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think it, there was a, there was definitely a turning point where we were all kind of like, okay, it's not we're not doing that great. Uh, we're trundling along, uh, you know, we lose to Luton, which was a real kick. Uh, and then um, uh, and then Hodgson just comes out and he just goes, well, these fans have been spoiled a bit too much. <laughs> and we're all going, what? Hold on. Hold on. What, what does he mean by that? And then this whole sort of, you know, we, they, we can't expect to be winning ways all the way. And you go, we actually haven't won at Seller since September since the beginning of September. So you can't give us that. And so I can understand now the frustration that is coming in. It's now been five seasons that we've all been saying we've, I mean, how many times have I said we need a striker Yeah. with you? Yeah. yeah. And it is, you know, we're now down to one officially. Officially, we only have one in the team, which is ridiculous. Everybody else is midfield except for Jasserup. And I mean, what what can you what can you do? Uh, we're, we're screaming from the rafters, um, giving them so much support. But there's just a point where you just go, you know, where where are all this promised talent and what a great team it's going to be when we put everybody together? All right, we've got injuries, you know, it is it is getting really silly. But you know, this new Matias Franca, this kid from Brazil that was going to be the, the saving grace of our season, that was going to come in and with, with Eze and Elise and and obviously Lerma as well, who is, I've got to say, is fantastic. But, you know, they were, we were going to be this dream team. And so far, it's been a nightmare. Yeah, I was just looking so, at his record, played twice uh, in the first team. Um 4-0 defeat at uh, at Newcastle and uh, a 2-1 defeat at, uh, against Tottenham, uh, both in October 23. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's. I just can't. I can't fathom it at all. Well, I can. You know, I've always said to you, 
the the poorest problem is his parish runs it like a teenager playing FIFA. Mm. Uh, you know, and that expression is is got me into trouble and and now it's just coming back to roost it really is i mean you know again we've got the transfer window coming up and the people that he's looking at you just go no the reason i'm actually shit at leicester and and leicester are having problems is because he's shit stop (laughs) looking at him stop looking at him you know the leicester fans want him out and we're suddenly making noise. Oh no, we might get him. And it's like, no, you know, we we need to stop. He's always looking for that person who's who's got a bit of pedigree. Mm. And they and they, you know, chances are they're just not with it anymore. I mean, all the people that he's, he's bought for, you know, up to put up front have been shit. But I tell you what, Zaha's probably looking for a game. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, I mean, in terms of of life after Wilf, um, what's what's it been like? Because it I, I, it reminds me a lot of City in the mid noughties when we sold Sean Wright Phillips to Chelsea, and it felt like there was like there was just no excitement in the team anymore. And the, what like what's the point in going if you're not going to get to see this exciting player running running at defenses? Um, yeah, has it been like that? It, yeah, the, the the feeling of the talisman has gone. It is is definitely right through with with everybody. Even though we were kind of going, yeah, but he's had his years. He's been really good. Um, and then you know a couple of times. Apparently, his first game for uh, for uh, Galatasaray, he was awful. And it was the it was the wolf that we you know see sulk and scream and shout and and even the players were laughing at him on a pitch. And then two games down, I think he, he got a hat trick. And you just kind of go, oh, no, he's still got it in the tank, hasn't he? Yeah. He can still do it. And he certainly proved, you know, his point. Um, I don't know if you saw that when Manchester United went to um, uh, to Galatasaray, he, he was was fantastic that night. He yeah, really I've, was. I, I've enjoyed United a lot in the Champions League this season. As it happens. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I was really, and there was a part of me that was going, Kane's going to score, Kane's going <laughs> to score, Kane's going to score. I mean, I'm quite happy that he set out the goal. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it, it was, yeah, it, bye-bye. Let's see what you do in the next one, yeah. you know. Um, but it, uh, I mean, they, well, let's not get into them, but they've been pretty shit as well yeah. this season. Um, I mean, that's the other thing is is all the teams that you think should be shining, including yourself. I've got to put yourself in there. You know what? What's happened with you lot? I've got no idea. I mean, hopefully <laughs> you you found it again. Just to you know, the, I, I've got. It fears me that Villa, that Villa could be in the running, and people are now <laughs> talking about it. Yeah, I think the the, the worry. I, I mean, is the worry for for Palace going into this weekend that City have had such a sticky run of form, and then they they went away to Luton and put in a really good controlled performance. That that you know, when 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 Palace beat City, it, like it it kind of takes the perfect storm, doesn't it, to for it yeah. to happen? There's of course we you know if you go on the fan sites they're already going yeah but look at you know they've been really struggling they've been really you know yeah but everyone goes through a sticky patch everyone and um you know it's you know Arsenal will get it soon you know that um and and it, maybe you've come out on the other side so I you know you're going to give I think you're going to give us a spanking 
and we've got we've well we've got nothing up front to to do anything. That's the problem. So I'm, I mean, I'm so happy with our defence. I think I think Johnson at the moment in goal is 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 cracking. Um, Will he be fit? Is he because because he he went off in the Liverpool game, didn't he? Oh, he did, didn't he? Uh, I th- I think I've read that he's all right. Okay, but but who knows? Um, um, and we've also uh, uh, we, who else is it? Someone else is out. So we've got Klein back. Oh, we got um, yeah, Terek Terek uh, Mitchell is is out, obviously. Uh, but when they when you've got you know you've got Mitchell, you've got Anderson. Um, uh, um, I'm trying to think of the other guy. Uh, Gay, Gay. It's just. It, I think our defence is fantastic, really strong. Um, you know, three of them have, have you know, are looking at England. Anderson, obviously, he plays for his national team, um, Denmark. So, you know, we've got it's, it's it's full of internationals at the back. So they must be doing something right. I'm I'm happy with them. Obviously, we've got the the dream midfield. You know, Alessi, everybody's been praising to the hill, and I don't know if you saw his his goal against was it Luton? That was I was I was away, so I was getting it on a feed. I think it was the Luton goal. Mm. It was phenomenal. I mean, we do have those moments, but until we have somebody who's up front and just is can hit the target, can actually you know we've not had anything like that since Glenn Murray. Somebody that you just go give him the ball, it's it's going to be near the goal. There is nobody in that Palace team that I can say that can happen to now. Yeah, um, I watched your game against Liverpool, and um, I, I mean, I I was just as frustrated, I guess, as uh, as the Palace fans with the way it ended. Um, what did you make of it? Of, of I, again, of all of I was it? I was away. I was uh, first of all watching it on a very dreadful Wi-Fi, um, <laughs> but it was, I have to say. In a in a shack eating conch salad with sharks underneath me in the Bahamas, <laughs> um, so you know there was that plus. Is it is it but, easier to get over those moments when things like when, when you're in that sort of situation? <laughs> <laughs> when you go, the Wi-Fi is not working. I'm in paradise. <laughs> yes, but but I think somebody's just gone over. <laughs> yeah, it is quite annoying. And then when you do get it back, and you know, and and I use being sent off. And you go, oh, and then you go online and everybody's just going, that was just embarrassing. That's ruined the game. Yeah. What a soft tackle. And you're just going, oh, for God's sake. And you can't even make any judgment on it. Yeah, it is a bit annoying. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it, again, it, 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 it's, it's what it is. I thought, you know, 1-0 for so long. And you think, yeah, we're going to do this. And then... But that's it. I mean, the, the, you know, the the goal was a penalty. Yeah, our goal was a penalty. We, you know, when are we, we we can't score in open play. What's the feeling towards uh, Roy at the moment? Because of, obviously, as you say about um, his his recent criticism of of um, kind of can't be expecting too much, but at the same time, like uh, there is a level of expectation that that should be there, isn't there? Absolutely, absolutely. We should, you know, we we see the talent that's there, and. It you know we've we've made an incredible rich pudding, we just need the icing on the top, and it, it it's just annoying that they can't see it and haven't seen it now for so many seasons. Yeah, 
Well, uh, you said you fear a battering. Let's uh, let's get some predictions on the board because we've got the charity bet coming up later on, and uh, I like to I like to give a prediction over to our guests. So, uh, Vinny, what are you having? I'm I'm probably going to go four 0 you lot. I mean, you know, we lost to Luton. <laughs> we lost to Luton. I mean, that's that's it. That says it all. Hey, we nearly did. We nearly did. It happens. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. I mean, maybe they are getting their finger out, but at the time they didn't. They were, you know, we we we've turned that. We made them turn that corner. <laughs> we were, we gave them that hope when they went, we beat Palace. You know, that's the thing. If you enjoy the show, please give it a rating and a review wherever you get your podcasts. So uh, we can hear there, Dan, that uh, Vinny's not, certainly not confident at all. Um, are we still in win at all costs territory now or are you wanting to see more of a performance at this stage? I think it's win at all costs, to be honest. Like we said, you know, we've got we've got some issues with um, players being a bit out of form, um, coming back from injury, players players being out of injury. I think it's just a case of, of getting through, you know, the Christmas period, and and uh, you know we've got a, we're going to have a game in hand, aren't we? Because the the Brentford game's postponed, so I, we just can't allow that gap uh, at the top to get bigger. You know, four points is nothing really, but if it becomes seven, ten points, you know, I'd, I'd certainly feel a lot a lot less confident. Um, I think Arsenal and Liverpool are going to drop points in the second half of the season, and you know we've talked about Villa and their potential title challenge. I, I don't see them re- lasting the distance. I think it's going to be between us, Arsenal, Liverpool. So we have just got to stay in touch with them and just keep keep grinding out results. Really, um, got tough game coming up uh, after Christmas away at Everton you know you, you might have said that was uh, in, in recent years that's been quite an easy game for us but this year they, they were in good form and um, I think that's going to be a tough one so yeah for me I, I'd just be happy with three points whichever way they come this weekend yeah we always seem to play Everton over Christmas don't we that's the uh, that's that's the new one like, like you can always mm. say the Manchester derby is in November for some reason the uh, <laughs> like they always play Liverpool in October they always play Everton over Christmas because there was the, the the COVID year where they wanted full disclosure about us all having COVID. That's right, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, meanwhile, uh, like Dan says, Ali, the, the Club World Cup is on the horizon. Uh, we have absolutely no idea who City are going to play until Saturday. Um, like this is I, this is a little bit of a, a of a disingenuous question, I guess, because uh, probably you do, but. Do you care? Do you actually care about the football <laughs> cup? Uh, oh, I've been trying to care. Can I put it that way? <laughs> um, I, I, my honest feeling, my my gut feeling about it is, I really hope that the players go away for a week to in Saudi Arabia, isn't it? Um, and they enjoy the sunshine and they treat it a bit as a busman's holiday, mm. and they come back feeling refreshed and inspired, and with a bit of a tan, and looking forward to the Premier League games and then the FA Cup and everything else that's coming up in in December and January. Uh, if put, let me put it this way, if we don't win, I will not be devastated. Um, I can. Uh, here's here's a fun question. Uh, I bet you guys can because you're professionals and you're very solid. Uh, but I wonder I how many that. of our <laughs> I wonder how many of our listeners could actually name any winners of the World Club <laughs> Cup in previous years? Because I know I certainly couldn't. Real Madrid won it last year, didn't they? Did they? Right. Yeah. Okay. And Liverpool won it in recent years, I think, as well. I can't. I had a vague well. feeling that I could remember Liverpool fans crowing about it at the time. Yeah. I couldn't actually swear to it. I thought I might have just hallucinated it. 
Uh, so one of my we, Liverpool mates was boasting when they won it that they were the champions of everything. So <laughs> I'm gonna I'm looking forward to uh to be honest, they, 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 they would have it. said they would have said that whether they'd won it or not, though, wouldn't yeah, they? That's <laughs> true, yeah. Yeah. I uh, I I've just realized that uh, now I suddenly care about it. We have to win the Club World Cup because it has to go on the graphic of all the things that Guardiola's won <laughs> yeah. alongside all the things that uh Jurgen Klopp's won. Because when we get to the end of their reigns in England, we'll be going, Yeah, but he never won the Club World Cup, did he? There we go. <laughs> Can I say, I, I actually do really care about it and I'm really looking forward to it. I know it's a bit of an unfashionable opinion. I mean, to be honest, the other day, FIFA tweeted that it's the pinnacle of club football, which is absolute bollocks, isn't it? But, um, <laughs> you know, there's, there's only one way to be in it and that's winning the European Cup. And we've done that, you know, for the first time. I think it's a real privilege to be in it for the first time. I'm, I'm you know, playing teams that we've never won, be- uh, never played before, potentially winning a trophy we've never won before. I'm looking forward to um, the novelty of it and it'll be a nice early Christmas present. It's uh, three Three days before Christmas, I think the final, isn't it? So, I'm I'm really up for it actually. Yeah, yeah. I, can I can I add? I, I did say that uh, I'm, I won't be that bothered if we don't win it. I, w- I have no doubt we will really enjoy it if we do win it. Um, can I also is, is the final on the twenty second? Yes, yeah, because yeah. that's my birthday. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> so Excellent. there we go. That's what we're doing. And any, any idea what time the kickoff is? I just have to. Buy, well, I, just I, I think it's like six, seven p.m. Something like that. Unless, oh. unless they lose on Tuesday, in which case it's earlier in the day. It's <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, I'll, I'll enjoy that for any come what may. But they will definitely be playing on your birthday. There you go. Yeah. Marvelous. <laughs> Lovely. Uh, right. Well, we had a winner on last week's charity bet. Adam Carter correctly predicted a two-one win at Luton, meaning we're now on five hundred pounds for the. Man City fans food bank support group. They're helping Manchester Central Food Bank by collecting outside the Etihad on weekend home games. You can go and see them ahead of the Palace game on Saturday. They'll be under the bridge near Asda between 12.30 and 2.30. Drop over with a donation if you can. Uh, We're going to try and add to that too. Uh, William Hill is giving us each a £10 correct score single on City's games. We will start uh, with the game against Palace. Um, We heard earlier on that uh, Andre Vincent went for a 4-0 City win. That's 9-1 to and £90 if he's right. Ali, what are you having for this one? I've gone for a cautious 2-0. Cautious 2-0 is uh, 5-1 to one and uh, 50 quid if you're right. And uh, Dan? I'll go 3-1. 3-1 City is uh, 11-1 to one and £110 if you're right. Um, since whether City play Club Leon or Aurora Reds doesn't change what we know about this game, uh, I thought we might as well get some, predi- some predictions on the board. We won't know the odds until we know who we're playing, but uh, let's, let's go for it anyway. For some reason, I'm going to go for a 3-1 City win. Can't give you any more than that, Ali. <laughs> I, I think I said 3-0, didn't I? Yeah, 3-0. Uh, Dan, over to you. 2-0. Two 2-0. Nil. Two nil. Well, uh, whoever we play, wherever we play, whatever, whatever's going on, uh, we'll get those odds on the Twitter feed ahead of the game. Um, remember, you've got to be 18 or over to gamble. Prices can change. And for information on how to gamble responsibly, take a look at begambleaware.org. Uh, we're going to finish with a listener question. Um, get in touch for next week on Twitter at Blue Moon Podcast. You can email through the website as well, bluemoonpodcast.com. Um, Alex has emailed to say, I watched Howard Webb's explanation of the non-advantage against Tottenham, where he said it looked like he was ready to play advantage, but you never heard him shout advantage I asked him about the arm and he said he didn't even realize he was doing it in the moment and Alex says are we seriously being asked to believe that he made the advantage gesture didn't blow his whistle for a foul all the players including the Spurs ones carried on playing because he signaled for an advantage but he actually didn't mean to play an advantage didn't realize his hand was in the air for an advantage and then blew his whistle seconds later because he'd meant to do that before is this gaslighting why can't they just say (laughs) sorry we messed up so, Ali, um, has the explanation gone any way to uh, easing your annoyance at that decision? Uh, 
Uh, it's funny. We always talk normally about how we want referees to come out and explain their decisions afterwards. And sometimes you can explain too much. <laughs> That's a really good example. Alex is absolutely spot on. The, the, the full explanation is he messed up. That's the polite version for yeah. uh, for delicate ears. Um, he messed up. It was whatever, 90th minute or whatever they were into. Um, referees get tired. Referees get exhausted. Uh, and they, they're more likely to make mistakes and, and do something daft, like wave their arm and forget to blow their whistle or you know, whichever way around he, he did these things. Um, we do have to accept it. I, I'm absolutely convinced that one of the many derogatory impacts of VAR is that the standard of on-pitch refereeing has got worse. Mm. Um, I think referees no longer totally focus on what they're looking at and making their own decisions and half of their mind is always you know like well if, if i get this wrong a, a, a var a, uh, official will will put it right for me um and i think the quality of, of refereeing has is noticeably worse as and i think the you know var is a large factor in that but on this particular occasion um yeah alex has nailed it he just messed up yeah, Dan. The I, I must admit, I was quite I was quite happy with City's response to this, um, where I thought actually in the in the post match and and the interviews afterwards, they were clearly annoyed, but at the same time, it was a case of well, you know, people make mistakes and that's it. And you look at how I mean Arteta and how Klopp and I mean less mm. so Postecoglou because he's been quite he, he was quite vocal about you know giving referees support earlier in the season, but at the same time, you could see his frustration. Like, it feels like City have been just grown up about it. Yeah, I mean, I, I personally don't sort of get bogged down in complaining about officiating too much because I'm not going to say they even out over the course of the season because I don't think they do necessarily, but I think it kind of affects everyone. And this season has been particularly bad for it, I think, or or the focus on it has been has been particularly intense this, this season. I think um, since that wrongly disallowed goal that Liverpool had at Tottenham, you know, anything that happens to Liverpool is a national incident, isn't it? So it's like... You know that every week now it seems that we're having this conversation over and over again. I think, yeah, I, I was disappointed and not annoyed by that Simon Hooper decision against Spurs, but it, I don't know. It, it's not the end of the world, is it? Really, it's it's one of them. I, I don't know if Grealish necessarily even would have scored if he if it had, if if advantage had been played. I don't buy the um, the explanation either, but and I don't, I don't think Howard Webb going on telly every week and sort of saying this stuff is really is really that helpful either. I mean, sorry doesn't help anyone, does it? Really, it's just like it's just it just sort of dragging out the conversation unnecessarily so yeah I think you just have to get on with it sometimes I think the I can understand why people are frustrated because the standard of refereeing is just not good enough and it has to be better and especially with VAR it should be a lot better but I don't think it's going to cost us the title this year that decision and I I think uh, yeah we've just got to focus on playing football and, and trying to win games on our own steam. Yeah, how about when Bernardo takes a perfectly good throw in and it's called the foul? <laughs> that was hilarious, wasn't it? Because, I mean, Guardiola got done for one earlier in the game, didn't he? Yeah, that was a foul throw. Guardiola yeah, can't take throw-ins. But yeah. I was thinking, like, how often do you see a professional player get pulled up for a foul throw? And then we had two in the same half. I was like, bloody hell, come on, sort it out. And then they, they replayed it. I was like, what was wrong with that? It was absolutely fine. <laughs> yeah. Uh, quickly, though, Ali, the uh, the VAR decision uh, not to show a red card to uh, Jacob Brown for the challenge on Foden. Uh, were you all right with that? Was that, was that one that's on the borderline for you? No, I was not all right with that. Um, of all the, the decisions that need to be made by referees and VAR officials, whether or not we've got VAR, uh, decisions that protect the safety of players are the ones that I really care about. Um, the, uh, the 
that tackle could have, if it had been a few inches higher, it could have easily broken his leg. Uh, it, it, there's a reason why referees are supposed to come down hard on out of control tackles with with both feet off the ground. It's because of, you know the, the entire weight of a like 15 stone lump of defender coming down on Phil Foden's ankle uh, can snap it. Uh, mm. So no, I'm you know. I'm, Try not to rant the steam too much, but uh, like Dan, I, I was really not overly bothered about the uh, the advantage, and I think Jack probably would have would have messed up the chance if he'd gone through. But I was absolutely furious about the decision not to to red card that defender for the the foul on, on Phil because I really hate those kind of tackles. Yeah, well, uh, we'll see what we're uh, what we're all enraged about next week. But that's it for today's <laughs> show. Uh, thank you very much for listening, and thanks also to my guests for this one, Ali Fogg. Absolute pleasure, thanks, mate. And Dan Burke. Thanks, mate. A clip of this week's Patreon show is coming up. I'll be back next week, and I'll see you then. That was the Blue Moon Podcast. Please give the show a rating and a review where you can. And don't forget, you can listen without the ads by signing up to our Patreon. You'll also get an extra episode each Monday. Here's a clip of this week's. All I think about when I think about that goal now as well is if you look at the replay from behind the goal is that poor sod going to the toilets who just got back <laughs> turned to it. Um, yeah. yeah, but everything about it was just absolutely amazing. I was definitely didn't want him to shoot. I remember I'd already got pissed off that I thought he was going to shoot the first time when he faints. So I just, you know, it, I mean, it, it all happened so quickly. But I remember sort of thinking, oh, well, thank fuck he's not done that. And then he's going to go and shoot again. I'm thinking, really, just behave yourself. What are you doing? <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I was... I think we were all Sergio Guerrero that night, the no Vinny, no shoot thing. And I don't really know what to say about it because I don't know what you can add to it, particularly when you look at the whole thing of that being his last game at the ground. And he knew that was his last game, but no one else did. So for him to be in in possession of that knowledge with everything on the line and go... Sod it. Yeah, it's uh, it happened on seventy minutes. That goal, um, Adam, which is, I, I think that's alarmingly early for your centre back to be starting hitting them from range. You know, <laughs> it is. But if you actually remember that game, it was one of the cagiest things I've ever watched. You can listen to more of that at patreon.com forward slash Blue Moon Podcast, and join us again next time for another episode. <laughs>